Church of Christ presents Living in Apocalyptic Times, the reflection by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, November 12th, 2023. Please pray with me. Holy One, make the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts acceptable to you, for surely you are our strength and our salvation. Amen. Well, I was attending a Zoom meeting last week, as we do these days, and it began, as many such meetings do, with a check-in. Everybody went around and said how they were doing. But this time, the chair of the meeting was determined not to let us off the hook with the typical, I'm fine, followed by some small adverse thing in order to be relatably human. I have a small cold, followed by a quick dismissal, dismissal, but I'm almost over it to show that we have no intention of bringing anyone down or demanding sympathy or attention. You know the usual routine. Our chair was having none of that. We were specifically invited to reflect on how the state of the world, and most especially the most recent mass shooting and the news from Israel and Gaza, how all of that was sitting with us, how much we were absorbing of the drumbeat of news and how it was affecting us. I realized when it became my turn to speak that first of all, I would much have preferred to say, oh, I'm fine, little bit of a cold, but I'm almost over it. I did not want to think about all the ways I have found not to think about the news, all the things that feel too overwhelming to concentrate on. But everyone who spoke before me had been honest, so I thought, I guess I will have to be too. As I spoke, I realized that this is how the news is affecting me. On the one hand, I feel paralyzed and just stuck in time, unable to move forward. And at the same time, I feel like events are just rushing past me, howling like this. I once had a boss who bragged about the fast cars that he drove. And he mentioned that when you get up past about 100 miles per hour, the landscape going past just kind of solids up, and you can't pick out individual landmarks. It's just a solid wall of color flying past. I feel like that. Now, my old boss, he talked about how much he loved that sensation, how he found in the core of all that speed a stillness at the center. I'm missing that part. <laughs> in fact, most of the time, I feel quite the opposite. I don't feel centered and calm in the center of all the news flying past. I feel harried by it, unable to concentrate on one thing because here comes another thing. From the heads nodding on the Zoom screen during that meeting, I think I was not the only one that was feeling that way that day. This double sense of time both stopped and flying by has got me thinking about the language we use to describe the time that we live in, both the times of the news and also the time in our life. And I wondered if there might be language that's helpful to, make us, to help us make sense of how and where we're living in a world that feels askew. 
Of course, we divide time in the most basic way into the seasons of the year, one of which we're feeling this morning, <laughs> which we punctuate with our holidays and all our familiar rituals, back to school and Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, spring break, summer vacation. And of course, to that, we each add the personal dates of our own personal cycle of the year, our birthdays in the family and the wedding anniversaries, and even the anniversaries of the deaths of our beloved ones. All of those give shape to how our years pass. The years of COVID that we've just almost come through have detached us all a bit from those normal cycles the ways, in ways from which I think we may not have completely recovered. During that time, days and weeks were flattened out and undifferentiated by our usual activities. It made it difficult to feel settled in our usual cycles. And in these after times, after COVID restrictions have been lifted, everything still feels slightly askew. And now, with wars and rumors of wars, I'm reminded of that 1980s movie, which was called Koyana Skatsi, the Hopi word for life out of balance. The church, of course, has a few more words for talking about time. As the very name of our congregation points out, there is kairos time, and then there is their op its opposite, chronos. Kronos is that orderly passing of the seasons, which comes as expected with the churning of the clock, and the turning of the earth. Things in order. Kairos time is the opportune time, the moment that is ripe with possibility. It doesn't describe any one season, but describes a quality of time that can happen in the midst of the orderly time. And then there is the kind of thing that I think we have been experiencing now, a sensation not of a period ripe with possibility, nor of a horizon that rolls in an orderly way from season to season, but of a horizon that comes to a cliff. This is what the church calls apocalyptic time. We associate the word apocalypse most often with catastrophe or even the end of the world, but that is only half of the meaning. The Greek word apocalyptain means to uncover or to reveal. The book, of course, that we associate most with the word apocalypse is the book of Revelation, which is a vision of the end of human time. It's the revelation of a cataclysmic transformation of reality, as seen by a first century mystic who composed it. For us, in our ongoing apocalyptic moment, we're faced with a time when it feels right to ask, what does it mean that the things that hold up our lives are fragile? That we do not have the unlimited agency that our culture so desperately wants us to believe we do have. I don't often think about the Puritan sermons I had to read during seminary. And to be honest, I don't remember much of what I read. But one image from the Puritan preacher Jonathan Edwards' otherwise terrifying sermon seems spot on. He described our fragile lives as held up on a thread as thin as gossamer spider's silk. That seems to me to acknowledge the terrible precarity of human life that we have been faced with. Many of us have felt this in our bodies over the last few days and weeks and months, hyper alert 
and also tired. But when we are in apocalyptic time, we know things we don't always allow into our consciousness in the other times of our lives. We know that our lives as we have constructed them are not permanent, that our human structures are fragile, that the people who lead us do not always want what is best for us. Earlier this week, I was reading an article by Cynthia Wallace in Plow Magazine about reclaiming hope when what we are experiencing is moral distress. This is how she describes moral distress. She says, moral distress arises when we are aware of a moral problem and we can determine a remedy, but we are unable to act on it because of internal or external constraints. This is what Adrian Rich called powerless responsibility. Without knowing how to convince Hamas to hand over the hostages it has taken, or how to make a path forward to liberation and security for everyone in that land, we can still see that bombing civilians, thousands of them children, will not bring security to Israel, and it will not bring justice to Gaza. We can know it, and we can call our representatives, and we can go to protests, but we are constrained by our lack of direct power, and we are left in moral distress. A way to live with this distress, instead of just stewing in it, is to look around at each other and to recognize in each other not just our common distress or our common grief, but our shared commitment, a shared core of moral integrity, which might just lead us to moral courage, which might just lead us to the sustained energy of hope. This awareness can push us to a place of agency, not unlimited, but real. Kate Bowler recommended that we do this, that we take a minute each day and ask ourselves, based on where we are right now, what our resources are. What do I have at hand in my life? And then, is there anything that is calling you to action? Is there anything that this apocalyptic time has given you the ability to see that you might otherwise forget in the daily rush of time in an orderly fashion, of seasons with our normal activities? If you see that thing, do it. Commit yourself to doing it that day. If you wake up and you look around at the situation and think, this is a situation that is beyond me. Right now, I am not in a position to do anything. I do not have the resources or the energy where there is something that I can do today. So for that day, you need to tell yourself, tell your whole body and mind that it is time to rest. Take deep rest that you know that you can move yourself back from the clenched fist feeling that you are always supposed to be acting. Rest. There are days for action, there are days when we have resources, and there are days for rest. Neither should leave us feeling empty or useless. 
rest is needed for the days of action. A look around at our own internal resources and external resources is required to know what is it that I can do. All of which brings me to today's apocalyptic end times parable about the 10 bridesmaids, all of whom rested. The resting was never the problem. So a little scene setting. Matthew was written about 50 or 60 years after the life of Jesus, and it was also written after the fall of Jerusalem. It was written in and to a community of Jesus people whose origins were Jewish rather than Gentile, a community that seemed to have suffered oppression from without and deep divisions within. Today's parable is part of a long speech that Jesus gave, teaching just before the events of Holy Week. And he was speaking not to a huge crowd, it seems, but to his immediate followers. And it reflects a concern that runs throughout the Gospel of Matthew, given, written in the time that it was, to the people that it was, about who is to be trusted, who is authentic, and who is false. This is reflected in the dualism in all of the stories in this long speech. Each one has a winner and a loser. One person is taken and one is left. One is a sheep of God's fold and the other a goat to be separated out and cast away. One is a wise bridesmaid, one is a foolish one. It is a disturbing parable if we read it as a prophecy or a threat rather than what I think it is a call to urgency and agency. It's not a hero versus villain parable. The two sets of bridesmaids appear to be the same in every respect. They've all been invited to the wedding, the kind of wedding that would have been an extended event, several days long. The young women we call bridesmaids appear not to, to be not just friends of the bride, but to have kind, some kind of service role. They have a job to fulfill in this several-day extravaganza of a wedding. They're all hanging out together, and they all fall asleep. The only difference is that when, when it becomes exposed is that one group hasn't adequately prepared for something. And there is apparently no going back from that. There is no way of sharing the oil. There's no way of getting in late. I think we all want, when we read this, we want the bridesmaids with the extra oil to share. We want the bridegroom to be compassionate and say, here, have some of my oil. Come in. I can open the door again. But this is not a story about sharing. It's not even a story about the bridegroom as a Christ figure offering himself up for the thoughtless bridesmaids. Instead, it's a story of urgency and caution. In a gospel full of both beauty and trouble, this passage reflects the trouble of being human. Living with the idea that Jesus had promised to return and wondering why it has taken so long, long enough for the first generation of followers to have died, this community is trying to be faithful and they're worried about the danger of false teaching and false forms of religion. They're worried. It speaks to our time, too, living as we are in times when wars and rumors of wars and political storms often leave us with apocalyptic feelings 
and questions with a heightened awareness of our own precarity and the precarity of all our systems and arrangements which we thought were so safe and secure. We too look around and wonder, what are we meant to be doing? What does ready look like for people of faith? And when will things change? What is God going to do about the mess that we are in? We even dare to ask, when will our enemies get what they deserve? We have to wonder, unlike any generation before us, if we ourselves will bring an end to the earth, or at least to human life upon it. I think we are brought back here with all of these questions to the ideals of the Sermon on the Mount, living the kind of life that blesses the peacemakers, feeds the hungry, advocates for the meek and those who mourn, and rejoices in God's presence, even in the midst of all of our questions. We are brought back to the idea of being light and salt in the world, tending the light like a wise bridesmaid. Jesus has spent the whole of the gospel pointing the way to the kind of life that can come up to the apocalyptic edge and lie down serenely to rest, knowing that when called upon, they have a whole life of practicing to fuel them. They don't have to always be striving. They have striven, they have learned and been with Jesus, and they can rest. Please pray with me. <clears throat> God of the present moment, God who in Jesus stills the storm and soothes the frantic heart, bring hope and courage to all those who wait in uncertainty. Bring hope that you will make them and us the equal of whatever lies ahead. Bring us all the courage to endure what cannot be avoided. For your will is health and wholeness. You are God. And we who are living in apocalyptic time need to be reminded of your presence, to be grounded in your grace, fueled with your love, to live your way of justice and peace. Amen. Listen, listen, listen.